runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the weekly internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Carl Franklin introducing show number 27 with guest Joel Olson, recorded Thursday, September 27th, 2007. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, offering professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, and I'm your host, Richard Campbell, and with me as always, Greg Hughes. Howdy, everybody. How are you? And Richard, how's it going with you these days? So far, so good. Uh, of course, the fall season is upon us. I'm here, there, and everywhere, three times across the pond in two months, uh, which is getting exhausting. But at least one of those trips is TechEd Europe in Barcelona. Barcelona, Spain. Yep, in uh, November. That's right. That's the second week of November. We're going to be there the whole time. We're doing Speaker Idol and the 64-bit question and as many panel discussions as we can pull together. Yep, going to be a whole lot of fun and a whole lot of information, and uh, the best part of it is we'll be able to bring some of that back right here to everybody that's listening. Right, and the week before, I've now got confirmation that Dev Connections in Las Vegas will be doing a Run As Radio live there in front of an audience. Awesome. So that should be interesting. I don't know who the guest is yet, and since they're typically hour-long presentations, I guess we're going to make two shows out of it. Right. Well, mystery guest, mystery show, but it will be coming from Vegas, which has its own side benefits. Yeah, its own unique appeal. And we're going to be in the That's Mandalay right. Bay at Dev Connection. So come and say hi. Yep. We'd like to see you there if you're in the area. Right. And if you can't get to the shows, you can always send us an email at info at runasradio.com. Tell us how we're doing, show ideas, something you'd like to see, something you'd like to hear. We'll try and make it happen for you. Absolutely. Okay, Greg, let's introduce Joel. As a senior technical product manager for Microsoft Office SharePoint Server, Joel Olson is responsible for the IT Pro evangelism. His focus on ensuring the IT Pro has what they need to succeed. He has been an advocate for enterprise deployments of SharePoint, speaking at SharePoint conferences worldwide. His nearly seven years at Microsoft and five years at Microsoft IT, all of that time on SharePoint products and technologies, sets him apart. He also manages a SharePoint blog at blogs.msdn.com slash Joel O that has often been referred to as the SharePoint Bible by loyal readers. Welcome, Joel. Hey, thanks. And you're right. To spend all your time at Microsoft on SharePoint, that's very unusual. Especially that many years. Yeah, yeah, in different capacities and different positions. And So you actually worked in the IT group, the, the guys who run the gear for Microsoft? You got it. I was actually hired about seven years ago to take a desktop, you know, some data that was on a desktop in the product team uh, prior to beta one. The product group was saying, hey, we want IT to host this app. And I was hired to take that goo and put it on a server in the data center. So sort of <laughs> really you were the first SharePoint deployment. Uh, yep. I was operations guy number one. Oh, man. Well, Joel, I can really relate. I, uh, in my, uh, previous job, uh, took SharePoint 2001 pre-release in beta, was part of that beta program and actually rolled it out initially as a, believe it or not, an extranet site. 
and did some intranet stuff with it and have been working with SharePoint ever since. It's a it's a pretty amazing platform and it's really come a long ways. It really has come a long way. It's it's amazing just just how how the scope is so huge and it's just everybody is very excited about SharePoint. Part of that huge scope can be kind of frustrating I think for people at times. <laughs> it's hard to get your head around it, it's hard to get your hands around it. And from an organizational standpoint, especially with the change in business intelligence, SharePoint really is fundamentally it's kind of a platform that you can add things to and build upon. Maybe you could touch on that, and I, I think it might be really good to maybe have a conversation about you know what, what does an organization need to be keeping in mind and thinking about before they start worrying about the technology side of things? Because I, I know that I have seen, and I'd like to have your thoughts on this, that if you don't do this right, it can it can be a money pit. It can be very difficult, not just with SharePoint, with sort of with information systems in general. Yeah, I think it is good for a business to have a goal in mind. You need to have a vision, some kind of mission statement about what are you going to do with this web platform. It's a, it's a really a business platform that can enable all sorts of um, cool things. And we can't even tell you all of the use case scenarios for what you can do with this platform. But we have kind of outlined things like you know, ECM and web content management, you know, using it for your intranet, blogs, wikis, team collaboration. I mean, it's this massive platform even before you get into BI and scorecards and project server and performance point and these other things you can really build on top of this it's just there's so many things you can do with it but it is definitely important for an organization to have in mind you know what are we what are we trying to accomplish here what's our what does success look like with this platform where have we been with our intranet where have we been with document management and collaboration and what do we want to accomplish? You know, are we using this thing for search? Are we using it for collab? What is our goal? And where do we want to take this? And I guess there's so many choices of the way you want to use SharePoint. And I mean, Greg's already brought up the fact that it's one thing for it to be an internal store of office documents. It's another thing when you start exposing pieces of that to the world, whether securely through something extranetty or flat out public. Uh, sites and I think about uh, Hawaiian Airlines when I talk about public SharePoint sites. Yeah, yeah, uh, it's an awesome case study. I mean, it, it looks really cool, but it also it's like very functional. You can see how they're leveraging the publishing capabilities, and it's a very functional, easy to use. Doesn't look like a SharePoint, obviously, site, but um, but it, you know, you can see just the power of of a platform when somebody knows what they're doing. So what what are the what are the most common use cases now or what <clears throat> SharePoint like like we mentioned before certainly has changed over time uh, a lot of the things that I've noticed are sort of a lot of new functionality but really on the back end kind of expanded the ability to use it on the internet or in an extranet as well as intranet so in in today's you know office SharePoint server world with the new naming and everything what what are the big chunks of functionality what can I use this for what what's the what's the strong suit if you will yeah, yeah, and let me start off with Windows SharePoint services as the platform, you know, that you can build applications on top of. Starting with that, and that's definitely the most solid piece and the piece that just super, scales super well and traditionally has been the place where teams can use it to collaborate. That that piece is so rich and it's so solid that sharing files, team calendaring, um, you know, the new blogs and wiki functionality, these team site 
and all the functional templates, right? The feature activation and the security and authentication. It's just it's just built in and it's very solid. Is it all still part of the Windows SKU? Yeah, it's 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 a feature of Windows. You know, you you can install the the code right in, um, download it, and uh, install it right on top of Windows. But yeah, we call it, it's a feature of Windows. Gotcha. Yeah, Windows technology in a sense. So and the other thing that I've heard over and over again about SharePoint is it's a virus. That this thing just gets away in so many enterprises. It's too easy to install and anybody can do it and they do. Is this how most companies end up in SharePoint? That they, the, the people just deploy it and then IT has to rein it in? I, I wouldn't say, I wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't call it a virus. I would say that in companies that have been hard-nosed or don't have solutions that allow people to share files and have locked down interfaces that would support, you know, the ability for people to share information, that people are starving and they're looking for this type of functionality and Windows SharePoint services is easy to install. It's easy to configure and get up and running. So here's these people that need this functionality and they've got a server down the hall or they've got server installed that obviously requires Windows, uh, Windows Server. So if, if random people have Windows Server anyway, then that might be a problem in your organization as that far as that goes. But um, it, it, it's an organic adoption. But what's the best way to deal with something like that? It's, hey, if IT had an offering to support kind of hosted SharePoint sites, none of that would ever need to happen. Right. It would actually be easier for people to go to IT to get their site than it would be to set it up themselves. That's right. And it, people would very, very quickly learn that that's, that's the situation is, hey, there's a place where we can do this. We're not going to have to deal with how do we back this data up and is it secure and all this kind of stuff. If you know IT is hosting it, there's a, a comfort level. That's where you can build SLAs and really make this business succeed. Well, a lot of the self-service capability that is built into the SharePoint uh, technologies um, can really help IT to minimize the management impact. I, I guess, in a way, that self-service, uh, if somebody is setting it up on a machine under their desk as a, what we might, in IT, might call a rogue application server, if you will, that that, that could work against you. But those same tools really can help make this a, a strong enabling application that IT can keep their hands on without maybe having to hire a whole separate staff. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's, there's been some disservice in the past calling this a departmental app, which, um, as a result, departments are figuring this thing out. If they would have said, hey, this is an enterprise app, let's, let's have central IT host exactly. this thing for all our departments, that's where you really get the economies of scale. Um, it's, it's kind of been the, hey, every department can go figure out what they want to do in this space, and that's where there's been you know, various solutions and competing technologies and no standards in this space. Right. Um, that now kind of coming around, they're saying, oh, well, maybe we should have done something in this space. And now it's out of control and we've got to do something. So I can, I can very easily and quickly install this and, and bring it up. And, uh, the technology part of things is really pretty simple. So, and, and, and it's pretty self-contained and kind of drives itself, you know, set it up and then you you can kind of build from there. What are the mistakes that organizations make? before they install it or at the time they're installing it. I guess what I'm asking is how do people do this 
wrong. Yeah, yeah. The the mistakes that are made in this space are where the business doesn't come to the table with IT. There's a request to IT, hey, we need a SharePoint server, and that's where the conversation ends. Somebody's going off and buying a server and installing either you know Windows SharePoint services or Office SharePoint server standard edition. Um, and then they later find out, you know what? Maybe we should have told IT that we wanted high availability, or maybe we should have told them that we want daily backups. Or that <laughs> maybe we should have. <laughs> maybe we should have. Yeah, exactly. We find out that yeah, we really did need that backup right up when we find it isn't backed up. And they think, oh, you know, it's one team or one department that's requesting this, and then they quickly find out, oh, well, half the company's using this, and uh, maybe we should have, you know, enabled self-service creation for just our help desk, or had a support group that was set up to be able to support the, you know, the the load and building computer-based training or, you know, putting our administrators through training so they knew what they were doing when they actually installed and configured it. And by the way, you know, knowing that there's actually configuration options and how to how to configure it so that they can get the best out of it. Well, I know organizations, I've heard organizations tell me when I've spoken to them about, you know, our SharePoint rollouts, uh, that, that I've done, uh, with my teams, that they say, uh, and this is the business side of the organization, the people that, the users, if you will, the customers of a SharePoint system saying, well, but IT is a bottleneck. And if I, uh, if I give it to the IT department, then nothing's ever going to get done because they don't have enough people and I'll, I'll spend so much time waiting. It won't be worth it anymore. I think what IT organizations then need to come to realize is that they can give up a little bit of that control, but do so in a way that allows them to still have the proper controls, if you will, right, on, yep. on a system, leveraging the technology that's built right into the product. You, you got it. I mean, that's you, you nailed it on the head. And I think the way I've kind of been articulating this is there's something that needs to be provided where there's low barriers to entry, where IT is in control, there's governance in place, there's policies for security and information security for this ad hoc, grounds-up platform. Now, there is a need for the top-down, the central portal, enterprise search, departmental spaces for things like finance, where they can do their BI and their scorecards, and HR can do its publishing for the handbook, and all these traditional things you'd find on the intranet. And there's a balance between the, let's super taxonomize this thing, and let's build this hierarchical structure. But you know what? There's some grounds-up stuff that needs to happen. And templates are great. It's, it's going to help them be very quick to, to build off and share files and share information. But that can't be... When I add a file, I've got to wait for two days before it shows up and before it gets approved as something that when I'm trying to share a file with somebody else and I don't, you know, draft is what they need to see those barriers have got to be pretty low to being able to just share that information, be very quick. Talking really enables those businesses to be agile. Sure, you bet. So it's kind of finding a balance between that top-down and the bottoms-up. And uh, one thing I wanted to get out is, as IT, it's how do we host this platform for the ad hoc team site, you know, the ad hoc site collection hosting as a commodity. Think about it as, how do we host mailboxes? If every department tried to host mailboxes, that could it could be a really tough thing for a company. Um, 
But then there's the central portal and the departmental portals. And this is another way that IT can actually enable departments for hosting these applications that might be built on top of SharePoint. And sometimes they've got to think about these things in two different spaces. Don't They don't necessarily have to try and fulfill both of those needs all with one single web application. You know, one thing, I you mentioned the top-down requirements and the bottom-up requirements. What in an organization, say a medium-sized or a large-sized, even maybe a smaller corporation, in your experience, what are the real requirements from a – is a sponsorship at an executive level an important thing to have? Um, is this something that, that you see successfully being driven just out of IT? What, what, what in your experience is the picture of a successful uh, overall SharePoint implementation or project, if you will? Yeah, definitely it's, it is having a mission, a vision statement. And by having somebody at the CXO level that cares both about the top-down top deployment and that IT has budget for hosting this cross-company, cross-departmental commodity hosting of SharePoint sites, right? that's really what's going to make you successful. Are we really describing lowering the barrier of creating SharePoint sites to the point where it's, a, it's an email and the site is up? Or even less. Right. It, it, there's a web form you fill out, and the business with IT can decide what are the things we capture when a site is created, and ultimately, who holds the keys to say, yep, that's got business justification, let's let this go. And that needs to be a very quick turnaround. In some companies, you know, if it's sites for nurses in a hospital, maybe there does need to be um, somebody in help desk that looks through it and says, yep, this is good. Let's let this thing go out because we want to minimize the number of these sites that are being created. But in an IT-focused company where things are very agile, lots of projects are happening, hey, let's let the project managers provision these sites very quickly. You know, this guy's in the project management group. Let's let these this band of um, of roles or permissions and um, roles or groups inside the company being able to provision sites for them. So maybe it's not manufacturing plants and those types of employees that need to be able to create sites, but it's those information workers that are primarily working in office and on an hourly basis, those people need to be able to share that information. Um, and there may be, you know, knowledge repositories where things end up and are shared broadly, but there's a place where those drafts need to be hap- happening and people sharing that information um, on a much more agile, ad hoc basis. Yeah, the power of real-time ad hoc collaboration has proven itself to be, I mean, a, really just a great value. I, I know that, um, so my experience, just to do a brief one, maybe you can comment on it, is uh, in one example, we actually did administrator and, and uh, contributor training. It was a relatively short training, but we train individuals throughout the company who were in those business roles like project managers, as you mentioned, but people who really, who know what the content is and how it needs to be managed. Um, the IT organization doesn't necessarily know what the business requirements are for a particular software project or manufacturing project. So we enabled those people, gave them the proper amount of information and training to be able to create ad hoc sites and, uh, and sort of established a set of best practices and included that in the training. And we had pretty good success with that. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Oh, yeah. In fact, training is definitely a key word to 
Let's train the business on what this application and the possibilities are. Let's train our site collection administrators as to how do I manage the permissions so that the information policies and practices that you have on these spaces can are well understood. Right. You know, having them even check the box or, you know, reading the information, training them is definitely key. But you've got your IT pros who are managing these machines. There's there's some great administrative training out there. Um, the IT pro focused training. There's even certifications so that people can say that, you know what, I really do know Windows SharePoint Services or Alpha SharePoint Server because I'm certified in it. Sure. And that, that means a lot that you're certified with these technologies. And it's it's something that a business can be proud of that, hey, our administrators are certified. There's even developer training and certifications. So people can really prove that they know what they're doing. And it's something that can help advance their careers as well as prove back to the business that these, these people really do know what they're doing and they're, you know, they're people we can trust with, with our SharePoint environment. Now, in the end, a SharePoint site is always about content and you never know when you set up a site whether that content's really going to take off or not. So I got to think there's a certain amount of throwing things at the wall and seeing if they stick. And the consequence of that has got to be some cleanup as well. When they don't stick, you got to make those sites go away. So it can't be just enough to create them. How do you clean them up? And a lot of that kind of kind of goes into the taxonomy discussion. You know, I mean, uh, you don't want to over taxonomize. I, I like your word there, by the way. But <laughs> can you maybe you could talk a little bit about what what does taxonomy mean in the context of our conversation, and what do people need to be thinking about, and and how far is too far? Managing the life cycle of information. And having policies so that you can destroy something when it's no longer needed or, hey, the project's done. How do we archive our information? Having those policies up front and actually having empowering IT to really being able to manage the sites throughout their life cycle, you don't need to have to do a lot of hands-on. Um, in fact, um, one of the sites that uh, you know, we'll include with this information codeplex.com slash governance. There's a lifecycle management tool that Microsoft IT had built that they've shared on Codeplex that allows you to configure and say, if a site hasn't been used for so many days, then I want it to be um, the administrator or owner of the site to be notified. Right. And then they can confirm they're using it or delete it. And if they simply ignore those mails, then that site will be locked, mm-hmm. backed up, and eventually deleted. You know, you can configure all those time periods throughout that life cycle. But what that does is sites that are no longer being used, they're not going to cloud up your, your search results. Right. And that information, as you know, sites become irrelevant and unused, that data can then be, can be flushed off and archived, but easily retrieved if, if, it's, if it's needed. So the sort of a, an ability to sort of customize what I want my decommissioning process to look like and when that should happen. Another good example of things that have grown in SharePoint over time. Yeah, and and even within the product itself, there's the ability to to do that to some level. Say, hey, I want to any site that's provisioned after so much time, ping the owner, have them confirm or delete, and then after so many you know, notifications, um, delete it if they haven't confirmed it. Um, the other aspect to that um, kind of management of sites and life cycles is that there's actually features right in the product for doing that at a document level. 
And those features aren't turned on by default. You know, those information policies, expiration, it requires somebody to create a workflow and say, hey, this is when I want content to expire or for people to be notified. Um, But out of the box, those things aren't, you know, we don't, Microsoft doesn't know what your rules should be for your content, so you've really got to establish that. And therefore, it does—it doesn't assume, but it gives you the tools that you need. Yeah, and you've got to go with the safe policy of delete nothing, at least at the beginning. But that—that's not actually a good policy in the long term. That's right. I start to see an infrastructure here that's very supportive of fixed duration sites. Then that you—you you literally create a, a SharePoint site around a given project that has a distinct beginning and end, and then that just gets archived away. Exactly. And a lot of times there'll be a project where it really produces some content. That content can then be merged in with the group site or the team site that then lives on. But that project site, you know, that that was, you know, produced a bunch of content that's no longer applicable because the important documents have been produced. Now that other site can be can be removed or archived off, and it, and that site seems like a clean way to deal with things like third party vendors around an event. Knowing that once I roll that site up, I've closed off that channel of access to the system. Yeah. So it's uh, coplex.com/slash/governance, and uh, looks like a raft of tools here, both for for 2007 and 2003. Yeah. What well, what I've tried to do with that Codeplex site is really aggregate what we had on got.net around, you know, in the 2003 time frame. But even in the 2007 time frame, it's, let's take the best of what IT is using and in their environment, whether it's capture sites that are being deleted, make sure they get backed up so you're not having to go back and restore large databases. Um, the site delete capture, the lifecycle tool, uh, there's a, a lot of uh, good information. There's more even coming. Um, but just making it easy for people to 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 manage manage SharePoint and its lifecycle and making it this relevant information and those support processes just become easier and easier. And I see the Coplex site does link back to TechNet to dive into more data about governance yeah. uh, with SharePoint 2007. And that's where I would actually encourage people to go to is there's a wealth of of white papers on successful deployment and hierarchies in, in SharePoint Server, um, the controls in Windows SharePoint Services around governance on that governance landing page that's linked right from the top of that CodePlex workspace. Now you uh, you mentioned a, just a moment ago, uh, you opened the door a little bit, so I'll walk through it. Don't want you to share anything that you can't, but you, you use the word future. What what can we expect or what should we be anticipating in the future in the in the land of SharePoint? Well, let me tell you, I've been working with the Solution Accelerator team you know, on tools for the same version, um, where we're working on a capacity planning tool, we're working on a tool for discovery, you know, you talk about uh, rogue deployments, well, this discovery tool will help you I, clearly identify what are the SharePoint deployments that are out there um, that may be under somebody's desk or, you know, some departmental deployment that who knows if it's being backed up or not, but it helps you identify what's out there and guidance on, you know, consolidating and merging and uh, building those successful consolidated managed deployments, including a mom pack for the new operations manager. Um, Yay! I'm just, I'm glad to see mom spreading beyond exchange and active directory. 
definitely. Yeah, and, and, and SharePoint has had mom packs in the past. The difference you'll see with, with this latest one is you'll actually see these, uh, the health models are, are much more advanced than, than in the past. And a really, really functional mom pack with a lot of the kind of intelligence you'd expect. Yeah, you know, you get that from guys who've actually had to live with keeping SharePoint functional for a long time and knowing what to watch for. That's right. It's not just surfacing events. Um, it's it's more about getting that intelligence you really need to to be able to model your health and understand where, where these systems are going, kind of managing your growth and so on. We've seen more and more intelligence capabilities expanded and uh, really seeing SharePoint as a platform to add upon and to build upon over 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 the years. And it'll be exciting to see what, what happens next. Such a rich business platform that uh, the capabilities are just limitless, it seems like. Back to the taxonomy point again. Um, I, I think that that's a term that people hear and they're really just not quite sure what we're talking about. Can can you dive into that for us and, and maybe give us the give us a little schooling here on what is taxonomy and why is it important? Yeah, so let me take a step back and tell you a little about document management capabilities. A lot of people have found yeah, it's very SharePoint as a as a collaboration platform is very rich. But document management, records management capabilities are really built into this version of the product and just are very solid. Being able to get forced checkouts, being able to you know, enforce workflows and business process management capabilities right in your document libraries. Those information policies I talked about a little bit earlier um, about having expiration, barcodes, labels, um, very, very rich um, document library type capabilities. But on the taxonomy side, there's there's this concept of a content type. And a content type allows you to identify a template, a workflow, um, information policies associated with a certain type of content. So this okay. it's not necessarily talking about a, a, a document type, but you can have multiple documents that each have associated workflows, associated um, taxonomies associated with them, meaning like columns where this metadata needs to be filled out when a document's added. Right. And uh this better together scenario with 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 Office itself. Uh-huh. When you use Office with SharePoint, um you get this document information panel when you're inter- interacting with a SharePoint uh, list which will surface that metadata. So when you're when you're working with documents, you're categorizing information within those documents, you know, surface right where it's very easy to require um and populate fields in, in documents and much, a very, very rich experience. Well, the taxonomy, you know, formalizing taxonomy, maybe this is where another place where having that, uh, as you characterize it, a CXO or a, some kind of an executive level sponsorship or at least some way to reach across the organization can be really beneficial. Taxonomy is really about what are the standards that I'm putting around my deployment, right? And how am I going to organize it? Yeah, how do I or how do I organize data? Right. Am I building a hierarchy for my sites? Um, are all the is all the collaboration in one in one area? You know, is is search making all this data different relevant? I mean, ranking and relevancy even on search, where you can manage the properties that are gathered um, yeah. on documents that aren't even you know indexable. You can still gather that metadata and have those fields be indexable. 
and it can and doing taxonomy well can substantially uh, enhance or drive the usability of the system down the road. I would imagine. That's right. You know, focusing on ease of use is something that doesn't just happen at the beginning of a deployment. It's something that right. needs to be revisited over and over again. And it's optimizing. You know what? Optimizing your deployment, understanding what is working, what isn't working, and really being able to make changes to your deployment to address those usability needs with for your for your users. A lot of that time is it is figuring out is our taxonomy, is our um directory or the browsing itself working? Is it is it easy to use? Is the navigation with the breadcrumbs and whether right. it's side navigation or top navigation or tree controls, whatever they happen to be, there's a lot of options. Um and a lot of this is just working with your users to see you know what's working for them, and some taxonomy or some some of the navigation of the visual things you can change. I, I think it's safe to say, and correct me if I'm wrong, that there are certain aspects of taxonomy that do have to be thought out ahead of time, even if it's just keeping it broad and flexible up front. Uh, yep. Because there's some stuff that's really once you've started and you've started publishing and you have content that's out there, it's pretty difficult to actually make changes at that point. This is where that kiss principle or the keep it simple, All right? <laughs> Principle works well. You know, when you're, when you're trying to share information, make it easy for people to access that information, make, keeping it simple is definitely very important. Making it easy for people to retrieve information or to upload information, um, find the information, whether it's from search or whether they're browsing. So those properties become very important in, in a knowledge repository. Kind of takes us back to your don't over-taxonomize uh, comment. Yeah. And, you know, there, there's definitely a place for you know, required properties and structure around information. We're talking about those, you know, records repositories or those knowledge repositories where, yeah, when somebody adds a document, it's got to go through an approval process and a workflow. And when it's when it's fully published, you want all that metadata there so it can be easily discovered and easy to, to reuse that information. It strikes me that the real power of taxonomy comes after the document's created, when it increases in searchability and identifiability and controllability. And it's something that, you know, IT can't solve those taxonomy issues for you. You really need somebody who understands your business, who understands those processes. And when you're trying to share information cross-department, that's where keeping it simple can really promote collaboration across department. Yeah, taxonomy sounds like something for IT, but it's really a content issue, and the content people have to drive it. Yeah, I think you nailed that well. Having an information architect when you're going through some of these things can really be helpful. But a lot of the times, the knowledge is in the head of somebody in your business. Right. And it may take somebody technical working with that person to build out the taxonomy or building out properties, building out you know this, this knowledge that needs to be captured when information is added, you know, creating those content types, kind of merging together these, these two different fields. All right. The blog is blogs.msdn.com slash Joel O. Apparently, the SharePoint Bible, and taking a poke through it, I have to agree. It's a lot of core information for an IT professional trying to take care of a SharePoint site. Joel Olson. Thanks, Joel. Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks a lot. And let me give you one more. The team blog, where anything that gets released, we push through our team blog. That's blogs.msdn.com slash SharePoint. And everybody that's a SharePoint administrator or developer 
or you're involved in the deployment in some way, you should be subscribing to that RSS feed. Excellent. Yeah, take the tip of uh, SharePoint's a product inside of Microsoft, too. So this is information for people who are genuinely using the product. I think that makes a big difference for us out in the world trying to understand the right way to take advantage of it. Hey, thanks a lot for your time, guys. I thanks really a lot, Joel. This. Thanks, Joel. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.